Show, or as the metal fans call it, <laughs> I love Jesus. Man. Oh man, what? Who is this music you're playing? This is a, a is this Chris, Lawrence Welk? No, it's a Christian um, thrash metal band band called Tourniquet. Okay. Well, Larry W. Hurtado. Uh, first of all, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's the author of Destroyer of the Gods: Early Christian Distinctiveness in the Roman World. Larry, we've got you on the line here, and you are where in this world of ours? Uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. One of my nice. all-time favorite places. That's one of the reasons we ah. said yes to having you on the show, because normally we are not we don't get smart people like you on the show. So, listen, um, Destroyer of the Gods, quite a gripping title. And, I, I, I mean, how do you explain to people over a light conversation, over a glass of Chardonnay, uh, what what destroyer of the gods is? How do you do that when you're out for a soul? Oh, you you you're an author, are you? You're you're a scholar. What have you written about? Well, destroyer of the gods. Well, what's that about, Larry? That's all about how early Christianity, uh, which we take as being very familiar and sedate and part of the establishment, in its origins was a really weird, bizarre, anti regarded as antisocial and dangerous kind of move, uh, and yet. The very things that made it dangerous and weird in that original setting have now become commonplace assumptions for us, but we don't know where they come from. Well, the weird thing is still there, though, isn't it? Not as much as it probably was in the original setting. I mean, today, if people think that uh, Christianity is weird, it's because they think of it as being too mild or sedate or, you know, I don't know, part of a uh, geeky part of the establishment or something. In the ancient setting, it was regarded as weird because, as I say, because it was regarded as uh, as dangerous, as potentially threatening the justification for the structures of society. I mean, one of the things that was hurled against Christians was that they were haters of mankind. Why would um, they, Why would they say that? Well, again, you have to understand that in the Roman world, unlike a modern secular world, in the in the ancient Roman world, the gods multiple gods under under uh, underwrote everything all aspects of society politics everything from the family on up to the empire had its basis in the gods that that's that was what justified somebody being head of a family or head of an empire that was what protected a city from being destroyed or whatever the early christians came along and they refused to honor the gods they said no the gods are illusions and we won't honor them. They had their own deity, but they sharply distinguished that deity from all the others. That was just totally uh, did not work in the religious logic of the Roman world. And so by rejecting the gods, you reject all the structures on which the gods uh, that, that rest upon the gods. So Christians were accused of threatening the stability of the family, of society, the health of the cities, and even the stability of the empire. Um, like a seismic, um, you know, like seismic uh, reverberations went through, uh, according to the critics of, of early Christianity. Okay, so one thing I've said over the years, Larry, is that um, one of the reasons Jesus was killed was because he said to hell with religion. Is that accurate? Well, in a sense, yes. I mean, religion as the Roman world knew it, um, early Christianity, not just Jesus, but early Christianity was seen as being irreligious. Again, one of the other charges hurled against early Christianity 
was uh, the charge of atheism. So go figure. Early Christians were called atheists. Reason? Because they didn't reverence the gods. And you will say, yeah, but they had their own god. Yes, but in the Roman world, that did not compute. It was all or nothing. How could you choose one god to the exclusion of the others? Well, that sounds just familiar. Didn't make any sense? That's what that's what everyone says today. So we're, have we come full, sir? I mean, let's just get to it. What do you, what drives you nuts about the way our society, our Western society, looks at you know might critique Christianity or they might. Uh, you know, we, we or even as, as as Christians sell Christianity, um, that that you sort of look at being a, an historian, being one who who has looked at how Christianity has grown throughout the ages. You're really, at least, this is what I get from your book, Larry. There's really nothing new under the sun here. Uh, whatever you're saying now was said a long time ago. What you know? What, what message do you want us ignorant uh, people of faith to really get? Well, two things. One, I guess, not just people of faith. The book is written for a wider audience as well, not just people of faith, but Good. general general um, secular public. Just to say, this thing that you think you understand, Christianity, um, here's, how, here's what it was like in its original setting, which is very different than what you're used to today. The second thing is uh, to say that you don't understand how things that, as you say, you take for granted are, in fact, rather weird ideas, which... Uh, which come from Christianity. Example. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, if example. If you go out into the street and ask somebody, do you believe in God? They would probably say yes, no, or I'm still making up my mind. Nobody would think to ask you, which God are we talking about? As they say in the book, in the West, even atheists assume that there's only one God to doubt. But that's a totally weird idea in the history of the world, and certainly in the context of early Christianity. Wow. So probably shouldn't ask you this, but I, I, I think it, it will help as far as people saying, you know, do I want to get this guy's book or not? Do you think that your denominational baggage plays a role in, in your deciphering the information you study? No, I don't think so. The um, <laughs> the 75 or 80 pages of endnotes in the book uh, refer to other <laughs> scholars on whom I'm building quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't think that I'm uh, – the individual points that I'm making I don't think are, are all that uh, – controversial in, in, in terms of ancient historians on whom I draw quite a lot. What I do in the book is to pull it together and make a sort of combined forceful um, cumulative argument that I think is uh, not really available elsewhere. Tell me about the phrase bookishness, bookishness. Yeah. Well, one of the things that made early Christianity different in that setting was the energy, the effort, uh, the resources that were expended in composing books copying books, just reading and distributing books as part of their religious uh, ethos. Again, we assume that's just natural. We think, well, yeah, every, every religion has its scriptures. Christianity has its scriptures. Everybody has scriptures. Eh, wrong. Most religions, in fact, don't have scriptures, or at least don't use them in the way in which we're accustomed to scriptures being used in Jewish and in Christian tradition, where the scriptures are read as part of the worship event, part of the corporate gathering. That just isn't wasn't done in the Roman world, uh, and isn't hasn't been done throughout human history most of the time. So early Christianity was bookish in that part of what you did when you got together to gather as a Christian circle was you read books, you read texts. That was kind of weird. Philosophical circles did that, but it wasn't a part of religion. And in this and in other respects, for example, one of my uh, sparring partners from from Australia, the great ancient historian Edwin Judge. When I sent him a couple of my early chapters, 
talking about early Christianity as a religious movement, he emailed back and said, you must not call early Christianity a religion. It isn't a religion in any sense of the word in the Roman world. Huh. And I said, I emailed back and said, I take your point, Edwin, but if I if I say that to the general public, they don't know what the devil no. I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's a different kind of religious movement. And one of the differences was its bookishness. Not only did they read uh, scriptures uh, as part of their setting, but they composed books. They were textual maniacs. They wrote hundreds of books. We know of at least 200 to 300 writings that they composed within the first 150, 200 years of Christianity. There's nothing like that in any other religious group at the time, bearing in mind that early Christianity could be numbered in tens of thousands in the first and second century, not in the millions or hundreds of millions that we know today. So they, they wrote oodles of books. They devoted enormous energies to copying and distributing them. And one of the things also they did was they, they preferred and adopted their own distinctive book form. They they went for what's called the codex, which is sort of the ancestor of our modern leaf book, instead of the roll. So in various ways, both in the physical form of their books and in the place that they gave the energies they devoted to them, they were kind of off the scale. Well, I've always been a man who prefers the roll, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. If I remember correctly from my great theological discussions over over my lifetime, including Jesus Christ Superstar. Is this where the roll comes in, Drew? <laughs> this is where the roll comes in. Uh, what are you rolling? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well played. Oh. Nicely done. Um, I would think back, I would hearken back to uh, the, the time where basically someone said to someone powerful, don't worry about these, these weird Christians. Uh, ignore them. They'll go away. There's been messiahs left, right, and center, and they've all gone away. If you ignore them, they'll go away. Why didn't the Christianity just go away? That's the sixty-four thousand or whatever yes. dollar question, yes. uh, and I I have to say I'm going to disappoint you in the sense to say that I don't focus on that question in the book. What I focus on is how weird and unusual it was, which only exacerbates the question. In another small small uh, bo smaller book that I wrote and published uh, last year as well, the title of it will tell you what it's all about. It was entitled. Why on earth did anyone become a Christian in the first three centuries? <laughs> okay. Can you write another one that says the same thing about 2017? <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, given that early Christianity was seen as subversive, as dangerous, as antisocial, there was nothing to gain in terms of social prestige or advantage or anything like that, certainly nothing to gain and everything to lose in becoming a Christian. So that raises the question, why the devil did anybody become a Christian? And not only that, they might have converted on a, you know, they might have, might have, might have decided to buy into it on a, on a Friday or a Saturday, but by the following week or two after their family had unloaded on them and told them what a bunch of, what a creep they, what sort of creep they, they were <laughs> in becoming a Christian, why did they stay? <laughs> and how did it continue to grow? I don't think that scholars have come up with an adequate answer. Some of the answers that have been proposed are frankly rather um, banal and unconvincing. You know, huh. early Christianity, it will say that people will say early Christianity gave people a close knit group that they could bond with their brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, from what we know, so did at least 50 or so other versions of uh, social groupings in the Roman world. And they didn't cost you anything socially to join them. Right. 
So it's a really interesting question. Why the devil did anybody become a Christian? <laughs> well phrased. Why the devil? Um, okay. Whose hands do you want? I mean, you want this book to be in everyone's hands. I get it. But specifically, you're you're imagining what Christmas is past, but there's still opportunity. <laughs> Ideally, you've got someone in mind because you're tackling certain issues here uh, for certain questions. So you're you want this book to get into someone's hands whose questions are what? Um, first of all, one of the things, to, as I say, is to say. Do you understand this thing called Christianity? You don't understand its history. And for people who, I don't know, I'm, I'm writing for the sort of person who watches um, History Channel, Discovery Channel, all those kind of things, and says, hmm, I didn't know that. Hmm. Holy cow, that's where that comes from. So it's the sort of person who's um, curious enough to try to understand something of the pastness that has shaped their current world. They don't just go through the world, but they want to know why the devil is the world the way it is. Well, part of the reason for that is the influence of Christianity. Yeah. So I'm taking you back to the point when the story begins and this thing called Christianity first emerges and takes on its identity and to show you how what, what a strange phenomenon it was. One of the things I'm opposing is the sort of person who says, all religions are really the same. And they basically work to uphold the established institutions of society. They're really just part of the power structure. The answer is no, actually, Religion, the thing we call religion, can be quite a variety of things. And uh, as I say early in the book, I know early Christianity best, but it really is simply, uh, in the broader sense, um, a kind of case study uh, in how the thing we call religions is a lot of incommensurate things, things that aren't actually the same at all. Man. And so it's, it's, as I say, it's, it's an attempt to try to blow some of the, the um, misconceptions uh, stereotypes, misguided assumptions that people have about religion, about their culture, about themselves, hmm. and um, and the origins and influence of Christianity. Well, I'm saving my my best question for last. Uh, okay. Larry W. Hurtado, Hurtado. Am I saying that right? Hurtado? That's a reasonable facsimile, yeah. No, what is it? How do I say it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a Spanish name, so if you were pronouncing it uh, in its Spanish, it would be Hurtado. Hurtado. But, uh, but the anglicized form is Hurtado. Okay. Well, I just walked across Spain, so... Uh, I, just drop the H. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's the author of Destroyer of the Gods, Early Christian Distinctiveness in the Roman World. His website uh, that you can go to is LarryHurtado.wordpress.com. He is Emeritus Professor of New Testament Language, Literature, and Theology at the School of Divinity at the University of Edinburgh and a Fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. Dude, that's the biggest business card I've ever seen in my life with all that on there. <laughs> my big question for you is, since you live uh, in Edinburgh, what's your favorite beer? McEwen's 80. Well played. Nice. Nice. Do you have that with deep-fried Mars bar? <laughs> deep-fried Mars bar. <laughs> that's right. Have you had Innocent Gun, by the way? I have. I have, oh. yeah. yeah. Big fan oh. of that. Big fan yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, Larry, I wish we lived closer because you you sound like a fun hang. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we're, we're covering all parts of the body here on the Drew Marshall Show. The heart, the head. <laughs> Got a couple of... <laughs> yeah. Just, Donkeys in here. I like the, yeah. fil the, uh, the filters <laughs> we've got on today. We're learning. It's post-Camino Drew Marshall Show. Trying to grow up a little bit. At least I am. Oh, I'm not playing.